I love the concept. Of course, I, you and I have talked about this in the past. I, mm -hmm. I love what you're doing with it. I, I can't wait to see it absolutely take off because once it's fully up and running, I know you've got pieces of it happening right yeah. now, but you've got other pieces coming on board with new people perhaps. Yeah. No, I'm excited. Nashville is such a great tourist tour area that um, there's a lot of overlap between do this tourist tour, and then if you're thinking about even moving here, there's this other tour that you can do that's actually going to, you know, tell you what it's like to live here, you know, and uh, and we have tour guides already set up, or we have drivers set up, so we're going to have a tour guide in the front, and then a driver, and then it's going to be one family per tour, very VIP, you know, it's not like a tour bus. It's not like a sightseeing thing. It's not a big tractor pulling a no. trailer with people drinking <laughs> not, in the with back. With a hot tub. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing like that. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely needed. And it's not going to be done by me or any other real estate agent. We are not there to sell you a house. We're there to show you what is Nashville all about. And do you like it? Do you, do you fit here? In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Welcome back to another episode of The Root of All Success. And today we're actually recording live and in person again. I, you know, when we started the show, I was doing a lot of lives. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even do a Zoom but uh, you know, the world's changing, and so most of my stuff is by Zoom. But the guy that's sitting across from me today, who's my guest, is a good friend of mine, and uh, I, I, he, we wanted to do this in person. He lives locally, so we're doing this here at uh, Energy Lighting Services, one of the companies I own here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're doing this in the training room. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see where we're sitting today. If you're listening on any of the podcast players, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you subscribe to The Root of All Success and, and leave us a five-star review. And it's not just that I want five stars to make me feel better, <laughs> even though that would make me feel really good. But I want those because the way the algorithms work on these podcast players is the higher the reviews are, the more likely it gets in front of more people. And I'm not doing this show for just me and my guests. I'm doing this to get in front of more people so that I can inspire people like you as entrepreneurs to grow their businesses, to build better businesses, and to hopefully be able to exit and live the exit lifestyle that you truly desire. So you giving that five-star review helps that happen. So it's not just about making me feel good. It's about building the show so that it helps make bigger impact in the world. Um, I wanna thank you again for taking the time to listen. I've got a great conversation in store for you today with Greg Cooley. So let me go ahead and introduce you to my friend, Greg Cooley. Greg Cooley is a celebrity and luxury home specialist. If you are in the Nashville market and you're looking for a luxury home or if you're a celebrity looking to buy a home in the Nashville market, the guy that we're gonna to talk to today 
is the guy. That's how I was introduced to him originally, and ever since we've been introduced and known, that's what he does. And he's very discreet about what he does. He doesn't talk about his clients' names. He takes very, his photos and videos are all amazing on his, uh, on, for the showings and the houses that he lists. He's doing some great things in the luxury real estate market, but he also consults nationally. So he's, Nashville's his place, that's where he is here in Nashville, but he consults nationally. So if you're in the real estate game and you want to work with somebody or talk to somebody who knows his stuff, you've tuned in to the right show today with Greg Cooley. Now he also has two other companies that he's starting this year. One is called Live Like a Local, which is kind of the opposite of a tourist tour when you come to a city, because you know you can go do a tourist tour of a city. Uh, but he's created this company called Live Like a Local, where it's going to be designed as a tour for families looking to move to that particular city. So, for example, if you're looking to move to Nashville and you want to you see what would it be like if my family moved here, his company, Live Like a Local, will give you that tour to show you here's where the schools are, here's where the services are, here's where the cool things to go do stuff. Not necessarily touristy things, but like these are the things you want to do as a family. So Live Like a Local is one of the companies that he's starting up now. It's going to be a great hit here in Nashville. He's already got a lot of stuff built out, got great people working on that company with him. And then the other one he's working on, the early incubation stages, is called Buyer Bucket. And it is a way for uh, curious sellers to find out if there are curious buyers of their house before they go to list. And I hope that I, I hope that I explain that the right way. But we'll talk a little bit about Buyer Bucket, Live Like a Local, and uh, Greg's business because he's one of the founding partners uh, with Compass Nashville, and he's a member of the Compass Sports and Entertainment Division. And this guy is the luxury real estate guy here in Nashville. So welcome to the show, Greg Cooley. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Appreciate that. <laughs> I remembered all that stuff. <laughs> you did great. You did, you did really good. Well, it's Thank easy you. to remember when you, first of all, when you know people, like yeah. I, you and I know each other pretty well, and then also when you like somebody. It's easy to remember stuff about people that you like. Well, so. that's super kind. I like you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show today. So let's, I want to start with this question. Okay. Um, as an entrepreneur, real estate guys get a, uh, are not always entrepreneurial. Right. They're, they're, you know, a lot, as a matter of fact, in the Nashville market, I think the stats are like 15,000 realtors, licensed realtors, they're more, more than the listings that are available. So most of them are just people with licenses. Um, and and the old, as the old, you know, kind of cliche is, it was just soccer moms that wanted something to do, you know, to make a little extra money. But you are the absolute opposite of that. You are the entrepreneur, founding partner at Compass Nashville. Why do you think real estate agents aren't entrepreneurial, just in general. Why do you think that is? Ooh, um, yeah, it, there are lots of agents. Um, I think the bar to entry is really low. And uh, to get a real estate license isn't hard, but to build a business is hard. And so you, you hear 15,000, but you know Pareto principle, only 20% is doing most of the business, You know, 80% of the business. And so, you know, why aren't they entrepreneurial? I think, you know, it's all about their background. They think that, you know, I can have flexibility, but I don't need to build, build a business. They think they can go work for, you know, a real estate firm like Compass or Keller Williams or, you know, Remax. And they think that Remax is the boss, the job. They think they're going to have a boss, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Once they get their license, they realize, oh, they're their own boss. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wake up call. And so a lot of people actually don't stay in it 
or they limp along, they stay licensed, they might sell one or two deals a year. I think the average income for a real estate agent in this area is only like thirty dollars or $40,000, um, which, you know, that doesn't pay for your family. So um, I think a lot of people that don't realize it's an entrepreneurial thing, they just don't succeed. And, and they just keep their license and, you know, just let it float. So if you were the, the king of all realtors and you could make the rules, what would you do to the barrier of entry for real estate agents? Oh, that's a great question. I've actually thought a lot about this. Oh, good. Um, I think it should be a lot like uh, apprenticing. I think you should apprentice with like a more senior person, agent, broker, um, before you can even sell, before you're even fully licensed. I think a, a year or two of apprenticing, appraisers have to do that, um, but real estate agents don't. Um, I think a lot like attorneys, I think the testing to get in should be a lot harder. You know, the bar is notorious for being very difficult. Our real estate tests are not hard and yeah. you can just keep taking them. With the bar, I mean, I think you can keep taking it, but it, it takes a lot to do it. And so, you know, make the test harder, have an apprenticeship situation where you can't just, you know, take the test and go sell a house the next day. Um, yeah, I think those two things. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, just more education. Do you think that's ever going to change? I mean, is that possible? No, I, I don't. Um, you know, the realtor associations are very powerful and they have lobbying powers and it's all up to the states to license, you know, make the licensing rules. And so we have a lobby. That's one of the biggest lobby, you know, groups in the state, in the country. The realtor lobby is huge. And so they want as many members as possible because they make money on each member. So they're great with 15,000 agents in Nashville. They, they're like, the more members, the better. Unfortunately, that just kind of waters down the expertise. So what's the difference between, I know the shows, we're going to get to the entrepreneur side of it, but I'm, I don't often get these opportunities yeah. to ask real estate guys about this because I'm a, I love real estate. I don't, I've owned some in the past. I mean, personal residences, but I've also owned some investment properties, but I've never had my real estate license. But is there a difference between having a realtor as a designation versus just being a real estate agent, or is that the same thing? When they do their marketing campaigns, they make it seem like it's a big deal. But in Nashville, every agent that sells houses has to be a realtor. Commercial agents don't. So if you're like doing a commercial building, you're usually not a realtor too, okay? In places like New York City, none of them are realtors. They're just real estate agents. And so, yes, there is a difference. Um, but in certain areas, if you want to be part of the local MLS, like to list your house on, you have to be a realtor too. So it's like they force you. So it's not really a special thing. Oh. Yeah. So the MLS is also that, that, that weird thing I've always wondered. Like, yeah. Who designed that and came up with it? Because that's like the holy grail. All these people like Zillow's and Trulia, they're trying to compete. Yeah. But I don't know if they're going to break the MLS, but there's got to be a listing service that could compete where, yeah. but I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a weird thing. Well, what's so interesting. So I'm third generation. Um, my grandfather started selling real estate out of a Howard Johnson hotel room in upstate New York. And uh, he worked for uh, Procter & Gamble in their like lab testing drugs, something like that. And he's like, I'm gonna change my family tree. I'm gonna start my own business selling real estate. So he started out of this Howard Johnson room. And um, that was back when, I don't even think MLSs were a thing. 
And so what they would do is you would have your own listing and there wouldn't be another agent. You would just sell your house. You would uh, advertise it in the newspaper. Someone would call your ad or they'd see your sign. They'd say, hey, I want to buy this house and you'd sell it to them. That was it. And, um, and then what would happen is agents wouldn't want to work with other agents or show other agents properties because they want to get paid on it. So they all got together, all the realtors, and they're like, okay, we got to figure this out. And so they all agreed, we will split our commission if you bring the buyer. And then the buyer agent was born and the MLS was born. And so they thought we are stronger together by showing each other's listings than by just keeping our own listings and only, you know, they thought leveraging the community would be better. And that's why they did that. And when uh, technology came out, they freaked out because... Now we have people can search for their own houses. We can't keep our information protected anymore. Like it was a very big adjustment and they're still struggling uh, with that. And there's a lot of disruption. Um, you know, even what I'm doing is, is part of that disruption. And so. Well, I appreciate that background. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I, I, do remember, I do remember back in the days, you know, my wife and I've been married. Um, it'll be 27 years this year. It's hard to believe, but. I remember when we were first buying our first home, we'd get that buy a home magazine or whatever that, yeah. I don't know what they were, but they were always at restaurants and stuff. There was a rack of magazines <laughs> yeah. and you'd pick one up and they were just black and white photos, sometimes uh -huh. a color if they were paying a lot more money, mm -hmm. but black and white photos and maybe a 30 word description of the house yeah. and the realtor's name. Yeah. That was before the internet, before right. all that kind of stuff. So now you're right. I mean, I, from a, from a find my, find a house thing, I don't really need a realtor to find it. I just need a realtor to run through the process, right. make sure I do it correctly, title search and all that kind of thing. Right. So we need less realtors because if people can find their own houses, what do we need so many realtors for? And it really, your value doesn't come in finding the house anymore. It comes in, well, it does if it's off market, but it doesn't if it's on market. Everybody has access to auto searches and things that, you know. Right. But the value comes into, am I buying a good house? And do you know the pitfalls? And do you know the things that might bite me in the end on That's this right. contract? You know, especially in the, in the world that I deal with, these are millions of dollars. And if they make a mistake, you know, this is, could be a huge hit on their, you know, their asset. So, so it's a lot of pressure on me because they rely on me to, you know, make sure the due diligence is done properly. And so having that expert to walk us alongside them while they're doing their, you know, thing that they're awesome at, you know, so they don't have to worry about it is really important. So I don't know if that will ever go away. It's just changing. Yeah. What, how did you get your start in real estate? You said your yeah. grandfather. Uh -huh. So I guess you're either your mom or dad was in real estate and then you. Yep. Uh-huh. My dad was, uh, my grandfather, my dad, but it was in upstate New York. And so I was the music kid and I was playing piano and I was, um, but I grew up in a family of super like entrepreneurial people. So like my, my grandfather on the other side was a farmer and um, my uncle owned a propane company. My other uncle owned a restaurant. And so like I had entrepreneurs all around me. And, um, and so when I started doing music, I asked one of my uncles, hey, can I come play piano at your restaurant every weekend? And I started making like a ton of money at 13, 14 years old playing piano at my uncle's restaurant. And so I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to do this for a living. Like I started getting stars in my eyes as a kid. My family was like, great, you need to move to, you know, the big city. And 
but not the, not New York City because that's too dirty. So you know Nashville is a great you know <laughs> music city. And uh, so I moved to Nashville, went to Belmont, um, started doing some touring and gigging. And you know I I was doing a gig gig one time. And I looked next to me, and there was this bass player. He was probably 65. I was 20 years old. And I knew he was making the same 50 bucks I was. And I'm like, that is not the life. That's not the future I want. You know, and he's, he's been on stage with the biggest acts. You know, he's winding down now, but he doesn't have much to show for it. It's like, that is not my future. I just can't. Mm. And everything in me was like, get out. And so I did. So I got my real estate license because I'm like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do, but I know my family's good at this. So maybe I'm good at it. And uh, so I took a leap and uh, got my real estate license. And then um, and then, yeah, lots of you know, steps later. Yeah, it was hard to get that license, too, right? <laughs> no, it was so easy. It was like I had a company in Memphis mail me a whole packet. And basically they gave me the answers, too. And I just sent it all back. It was the silliest thing. Really? Yeah. I won't say the school because I don't want to get them in trouble, but it was a joke. Uh, how old were you when you got your license? I was um, 21. All right. So early, early. Yeah, early. I was super young and um, you know, I, di I didn't know what I was doing, but luckily you know, I teamed up with an agent that was selling foreclosures. It was weird early on, but it was 2007, 2008, and foreclosures were starting to get real hot. And, uh, and so we were doing deals, and I got my feet you know, going, and I was doing all the grunt work. I wasn't getting paid hardly anything, but I was doing like 10 deals a month, which is huge for a new agent, like to be able to know how to do contracts that fast and to do all that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I started. years old, yeah. figuring it out during the crash. Yeah. The Great Recession. I didn't know the good good old days that they talked about. <laughs> so, how did you get into luxury real estate? Because that's your thing. That's your that's what you do. How did how yeah. did you go from foreclosures to luxury real estate? Right. Well, um, it was kind of like in the right place at the right time, I guess. Um, I was uh, going to church at Two Rivers Baptist Church here in Nashville. And in my Sunday school class was this hit songwriter. He had just had like two hits, big hits. He'd written a bunch of others, but he had two big hits and he was looking for his first dream house. And he took a chance on me. I don't know why, I didn't have any real experience in it, but I think he saw the eagerness maybe uh, in the you know, hustle that I was you know, going for. And he's like, Greg, if you can find me this house with these parameters, I will buy it, and uh, and I found it, and he bought it, and it was my first million dollar sale. And I looked at that commission check, and I thought, this is equal to ten of the last deals I did. How do I do more of these? And I'm like, okay, what is this? What do I do? What do I do? Anyway, so um, so basically, I asked him. I'm like, who who's your wealth manager? Because I would love to recommend other future clients like you to, you know, this guy. And he's like, you know, named the guy and he's like, I'll intro you. I'm like, great, you know, let's meet him. And so that relationship with that wealth manager referred me my first professional athlete in the NFL. And so now I have hit songwriter in the music industry, NFL 
you know, uh, so sports and entertainment, boom, 23 years old. I was selling million dollar properties to athletes and entertainers. And it just kind of all, you know, hit right then. So uh, when, you, when you got started, it was kind of by accident on that side of things. Yeah. Because you knew the guy in Sunday school class. Right. When did then you take that and say, okay, I don't want to just be an agent working for a brokerage firm. I want to kind of do my own thing. When did that happen? Yeah. So in Tennessee, uh, you have to be licensed for three years before they will let you start your own company. Um, I always, as soon as I got my license, I wanted to own my own company because I don't like working under any other people usually. And so, uh, so I knew I had to wait the three years. So as soon as I waited the three years out, I had had that first big sale, my luxury sale with the songwriter, professional athlete. I'm like, I'm going to do this luxury thing. And then that's when I was like, okay, well, since I'm going to start my own company, on the third anniversary of me getting my license, I started Chateau Properties, which, you know, Chateau, it was like, well, that sounds fancy, so let's go with that. And, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I branded it as luxury, and, you know, I had to turn away a lot of uh, business, and people didn't come to me for, like, the normal stuff, and I had to be okay with that. And there were a lot of months in the beginning where I didn't have any sales because people didn't think of me as, like, the normal real estate guy. Yeah. They thought of me as the luxury guy, which cost me probably a lot of business in the beginning, but it was the right positioning. I just didn't realize like how hard it would be to get through that first you know year of you know branding myself in that niche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the there's there's this conflicting, I guess, philosophies on the niche thing. So you got to people say, well, there's riches in the niches, and mm -hmm. then the other people say, well, you, you know, you got to be more of a generalist because the generalist can capture yeah. more opportunities but you've niched down into the luxury thing pretty well and it's worked out really really well uh -huh. for you over all these years yeah but not without its you know pain and uh an adjustment period and you know you you, you kind of you know i did kind of fake it till i made it at the beginning i, I bought you know I, i'm like i need a car that actually will look luxury and so i bought the least expensive maserati i could find I found it in Portland, Oregon. It was like $42,000. It was a, you know, Maserati Quattroporte. So I had four, you know, doors and uh, had a 400 horsepower Ferrari engine. Like it was great, but it was the cheapest one I could find. So I, that's how far I had to go and uh, had it shipped across. But I'm like, okay, at least they'll see that I'm young, but at least they'll know I must be doing something right if I've got this car. I might be done with my money, but at least I might be doing something right as far as real estate goes. You know, I, I, you, I've never heard that part of your story again about the car thing, but I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think so many entrepreneurs are told by the gurus that, that fake it till you make it is something you shouldn't do. And I, I think from an integrity standpoint, yes, don't you don't fake, lie, that right. type of thing. But I think presenting yourself in the best possible way Yes is absolutely 100% what right. you need to do. And you did it right. to your credit. Sure, and I wasn't like renting a Lamborghini or something like that. Like I actually bought the car and it was only 42,000. That was a lot for me back then, but like you know, for a Maserati, it wasn't expensive. The car new was $130,000, but because you know, those things depreciate like you know rocks, you know, <laughs> I picked it up and you know, there were some maintenance bills, but at least I got the uh, the entry into it, and then I joined the Italian Car Club, which you know, 
that's, that is Ferraris, that is Lamborghinis. I got to be, you know, part of those groups for the first time and, uh, and it was great for my business without having to like be a salesman, you know? I was talking to, uh, uh, I was talking to a guy that has a, he's an investment guy. And okay. I'm, I'm gonna be very vague because I don't wanna give away him yeah, or, yeah. or his company, but he's an investment guy and he's pretty new at it. He's not young, but he's pretty new at it. Well, he is younger, but he's not 20. Yeah. You know, he's, 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 I guess he's probably in his late 20s, early 30s, but he, uh, he's doing investment stuff and he wanted to meet with me. He knows, he knows I'm a business coach and he just wanted to have a cup of coffee and talk. And so I was talking to him and, uh, and then he, he ended up having to take me to pick up my truck because I had dropped my truck off at the place to get oil change and then my wife had dropped me off at the coffee shop yeah. and I just needed to ride back. And I had said to him, do you mind giving me a ride back? And he's like, no, but yeah, you have to excuse my car. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, people's cars get dirty, but he, he was driving an old, old car, like Toyota Camry or something. Yeah. It was old and it was ratty. It was, yeah. and I, I told him, I said, dude, let me tell you something. If you don't hear anything else I say, go buy you another car. Yeah. And he's like, why? I said, you're an investment guy. You're rolling up at somebody's house and you're asking them to put their, their life savings with you to invest for the future. You pull up in that car, I'm telling you something, I ain't, I'm not investing in you sure. pull up in that car. Yeah. Um, now I also might not invest if you pull up in a Lamborghini Urus or something. Right. Like, what? You know, so there's yeah. this space in the there middle. Is. And about a month later he texted me and said, hey, just want you to know I got a new car. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So good for you. That's yeah. what you got to do. It's, it's, and it's, I think the fake it till you make it. I'm glad you said that because I believe in that. And I faked it when I started my first company. I presented myself in a way that I wanted people to perceive me. Right. And maybe it's the, the name fake it. Like it, it might imply lying, but you're not lying. You're just wanting to present like success. And like you're almost projecting like you're manifesting your future. Like this is who I want to be and I'm starting now. Like, I'm going to dress the part. It's like dress for the job you want. That's right. It's the same thing. That's right. I was just thinking about that. You know, if you're dressing for the job you want, you you know, is that faking it? No, it's it's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But now, you know, I I got rid of my Maseratis. I think I had five over the last, you know, 10 years. And I bought a Genesis GV80. It is my favorite car I've ever had. I love that car. It's so comfortable. And it it drove all the way here. It was an hour drive, and it just drove itself here. It was wonderful. And your uh, maintenance bills are going to be a lot lower. Well, yeah. Than a Maserati. Maintenance in, is included. It's wonderful. So, so that so that it was like a hundred thousand mile warranty and all that yeah, kind of stuff on the great. Genesis. Yeah, three years of maintenance, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be great. I'm I'm excited, and I got to write it off, you know, because it's over six thousand gross vehicle weight pounds, whatever. Yeah, you know, that the tax yeah, the man sells. Accelerated depreciation. Yeah, twenty five grand first year. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. That's so. good. You got to know the, know the tricks of the trade. Yeah, tell and I know part of your part of your deal as a luxury guy. Yeah, working with Compass and and is is you're very discreet and you don't talk about the people you sold houses to. Sure. But I'm going to ask you: Is there a story or two from somebody that you have permission to talk about? That, that people would find interesting about. Yeah, I found so-and-so a house one time. And again, if you can't, that's okay, because I know your thing is about being discreet. So if you can't, yeah. that's okay. Um, I mean, a lot of these people, we work with a team, right? And so you've got the celebrity or the, the athlete, the artist, and they've got a team. And then the team, you know, is very business. And they send over an NDA, you know, it's like you don't talk 
about this person, you know, because they don't want their business out there, you know, and they're, a lot of times they're buying a house in a trust and, you know, they don't want even people to know where they live. I mean, people sometimes will find like where a celebrity lives and stuff, but, you know, there's a lot of celebrities I think that you probably wouldn't even know that they live in a certain house because it's very closed-lipped and nobody told anybody, which is kind of cool. Um, stories. Um, I was working with this one um, athlete and he was getting married, uh, pretty famous, and uh, they were engaged and uh, we found this beautiful lake property and she was in love with it. and. Um, and yeah, we picked out everything and it was all good. The night before closing, he calls me. He's like, Greg, I called it off. We're not buying the property. I'm not getting married. Done. And I'm like, uh, we have a contract. He's like, I know, but you know, the, it was her house anyway. It was her property. You know, I wasn't really into it. I'm like, okay, well. Let me see what I can do. So I had to go and use his celebrity to get him out of the deal. And because he put like $250,000 down that he was going to lose. because Earnest money. Earnest money, yeah. And so I said, can I use who you are to get you out of this deal? And so we worked out a deal with the agent on the other side to some, uh, you know, autographed stuff and like <laughs> so that we could get him out of the deal and uh and he felt bad for him because you know the marriage wasn't going to happen and so we you know helped create the story like hey you know we should feel bad for him give his money back because you know it's her thing and she can't afford the property without him and so yeah that was stressful um you know when so did it actually go completely away yeah, and they gave all the money back so the, what the sellers do? They the sellers the just sellers went, just resold. They're it. like, well, well, yeah. whatever. Yeah, and they just went and sold. I sold it again. Wow, isn't that crazy? That is pretty nuts, man. You know, it's funny. Real estate contracts seem so um, scary, and like you're risking so much. I can count on one hand how many times people have actually lost money on a deal falling through, like major money. It rarely happens. People are usually pretty reasonable about negotiating that, um, you know, and people will threaten lawsuits. Rare, so rare. I was looking, my wife and I were looking at uh, buying some uh, short-term rental properties, yeah. and so we were looking at one in uh, Florida yeah. uh, last month, uh -huh. and we found one we liked, and that we were working with the agent down there in Florida, and the agent said, "Okay, if you want to make the offer." It's customary to do one percent of the asking price as as the earnest money deposit, which is fine. And of course, this is a one point three or four million dollar house, so it's not a ton of money, thirteen, fourteen grand, something like that. So we we offered that in our offer and and normal contingencies like it, we we were already pre approved, so it wasn't a matter of financing. But we did to make sure we need to make sure the appraisal was good and the inspection was good. So this guy, the seller's agent, comes back and says. He needs twenty five thousand in the in the earnest money deposit yeah. and no contingencies for any reason, no and no inspection, yep. mm -hmm. and we're like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that. 
So in, in the matter of conversation, my guy was going back to his guy, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And at the end, you know, the seller, the seller came back and said, 50,000. I want 50,000, no. And I'm thinking, how does this even working, dude? I've made an offer <laughs> yeah. and you came back. So I, I don't know if he was just planning on trying to scam us and know that, hey, if we can get 50 out of them up front, he's going to come down here and see, because he can't do an inspection, he's going to see that something's not working yeah. and I keep his money. And I don't know. And and as of as of like two weeks ago, my my agent down there told me the house is still 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 not sold. And I was ready yeah, to buy it. I, sure. I mean, based on the pictures and yeah. the location of the beach uh-huh. and like that stuff. But wow. Anyway. Well, I think you know there was some probably missteps on that. I mean, the listing agent probably should have been up front, be like, "Here are the terms. Don't even write an offer unless you're willing to do these things." And then you probably wouldn't have been so skeptical about his intentions. Um, sellers are pretty. Uh, pretty stern on what they want right now. You know, they get to dictate their terms. What do you think's happening with the market? Where are we going? Is it going to cool off or what? I, I wish I would know. I mean, uh, you look at population growth versus new construction starts and it seems like we're fine. You know, it seems like we still haven't caught up. A lot of people didn't end up buying houses in the downturn that could have. And so like, and then, you know, new construction fell off. And so we're still trying to catch up from that population growth. And so, I look at that, I'm like, well, I, I don't think we're in a bubble. But then, you know, rates have been low for so long and money's been flowing, for, you know, pretty easy over the past couple of years versus, you know, 08, 09. You know, I'm like, well, if, if the market adjusts rates and economy tanks, you know, surely there's got to be an impact. Um, you know, and so like this world event that was just happening, I was like, well, Maybe this is it. Maybe this will show something. I haven't seen it yet. Um, real estate's a longer term, like it does, just doesn't crash like the stock market. It takes months to feel something. And so, um, yeah, I think uh, it's a slow moving target and the cities in the South, the cities that people are flocking to in Texas, Florida, Tennessee, you know, uh, I think they're gonna be shielded the coasts are going to get hit hard, uh, the Northeast and then the, the you know, California. If a downturn happens, I mean, I just can't imagine all the international money goes away. And then the people who moved out to, you know, the middle of the country, I mean, I just can't imagine those markets stabilizing. So I wouldn't be investing in the, the California market right now. Yeah, I was, uh, I was watching a TikTok video the other day. The guy said, let me show you how bad it is in California right now. And he said, I just, he, he showed his computer. I'm on U-Haul right now. If you want to move from Indianapolis, Indiana to Los Angeles, California, you can get a U-Haul truck for 2200 bucks." He said, but same trip, opposite direction, $7,800. Yep. He says, uh-huh. he says, why? Because people are leaving California. The trucks aren't coming back. Yep. Nobody's bringing the trucks back. Yeah. But what's crazy is the California markets are doing amazing right now. Like people are still moving in from somewhere or they're moving out of the cities or they're buying instead of renting. The real estate markets all across the country are booming. Hmm. And it's so interesting. I wish I could tell you why. Well, let's talk about your other companies. You've got, you've got, Live Like a Local, which yep. I think is really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Buyer Bucket. Let's talk about Live Like a Local. Where did the idea come from for Live Like a Local? Sure. So with Live Like a Local, um, like we were talking about, people are moving from these other cities to, to Nashville. 
but they're not quite ready to buy yet. You know, they're, they're making trips and they're just trying to scope out the area. And so they're hesitant to call realtors. They will call realtors, but they're like, hey, I'm not quite ready to buy yet. But realtors want to make a sale. And so they'll show them what's on the market. They'll show them areas that maybe they can make a sale in. But it might not be the right area for that person. And so Live Like a Local was born out of, why don't we try to serve people in that gap between I'm ready to buy, I have to buy, and I'm looking for a city. I know I got to get out of my uh, current state but I don't know where I'm going yet. I might go to Austin, I might go to Nashville, I might go to Charlotte, uh, but I'm not sure yet. I just need to know where's my next home gonna be? Where will I fit in? And so usually what people do is they'll fly to Nashville, they'll try to figure it out for themselves. They'll leave with more questions than they came. They'll, they'll drive around, they, they won't know what's what, and they don't wanna call a realtor that's gonna sell to them. And so I'm gonna meet them right there and say, take our tour, we're not gonna sell you anything. You're gonna buy the tour, and we're gonna take you around and see which areas are best for you. You're gonna fill out a customized questionnaire that's gonna ask you all about you and your family, what your likes are, what if you have pets, if you have kids, private school, public school, church, no church, uh, you know, things like that, really personal questions, and then we're gonna customize the tour so that we're gonna route it to try to match what you would where you would fit in in Nashville. And at the end of that tour, you should be able to answer, is Nashville gonna be our next home? And is this area in Nashville gonna be our next home? Yes or no, we don't care. We just wanna provide you a good experience. And so uh, we help people get to that decision faster rather than getting just overwhelmed and confused by it. And you're gonna do that in Nashville and then if yeah. it works here, you're gonna plan to do that in every city. All the cities that are those magnet cities that people are moving to, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. I love the concept. Of course, I, you and I have talked about this in the past. I, mm -hmm. I love what you're doing with it. I, I can't wait to see it absolutely take off because once it's fully up and running, I know you've got pieces of it happening right yeah. now, but you've got other pieces coming on board with new people perhaps. Yeah. No, I'm excited. Nashville is such a great tourist tour area that um, there's a lot of overlap between do this tourist tour, and then if you're thinking about even moving here, there's this other tour that you can do that's actually going to, you know, tell you what it's like to live here, you know, and uh, and we have tour guides already set up, or we have drivers set up, so we're going to have a tour guide in the front, and then a driver, and then it's going to be one family per tour, very VIP. You know, it's not like a tour bus. It's not like a sightseeing thing. It's not a big tractor pulling a no. trailer with people drinking <laughs> not, in the with back. With a hot tub. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing like that. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely needed. And it's not going to be done by me or any other real estate agent. We are not there to sell you a house. We're there to show you what is Nashville all about. And do you like it? Do you, do you fit here? That's very interesting. We're going to take a break from our show right now to bring you our sponsors. All right, thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Well, let's talk about Buyer Bucket. That's that's yeah. sort of earlier stage stuff yeah. than, than what you got with Live Like a Local. Yeah, what? so Buyer Bucket um, has been on the back burner for years. Um, I was working with uh, these buyers um, back when actually it was a, a, a buyer's market. And their criteria was so specific that I'm like, I've got I've to gotta have help. But, you know, I'm, I'm running into... I can't find a house facing northeast. Like, this is really tough. I can't search the MLS for that. So I need to leverage other agents, other people. And so I need to find a way to broadcast my buyer need. 
And so, um, so, so this idea has always been there. And, uh, and then w when it switched to a seller's market and now we have no inventory, there's still a lot of people willing to sell, but they don't know where they're gonna go, right? I mean, that's a big question for people. Like, they're, they're so happy about their house value, but they don't know where they're gonna go. And so Buyer Bucket's gonna be like, okay, let's create a database of all these active buyers, with or without agents, it doesn't matter. If you're buying a house, you need to be on Buyer Bucket. And then um, we're gonna take that information and we're gonna share it with curious sellers that are most likely to sell. So we're gonna send postcards, we're gonna social media advertise to them. Hey, if you're even thinking about selling your house, come to our website, see if we can match you with one of our buyers. So it's like a match.com for you know, buyers and sellers. And so um, they can do that anonymously, see who their matches are, and then decide okay, maybe this is the time to sell. And then what's great is once they lock in that deal off market, they can become a buyer on the buyer bucket system to know where they're going to go next and draw out that other curious seller for where they're going to go. And so they solve their problem of where am I going to go? They solve the buyer's problem of there's no inventory. What house am I going to buy when there's nothing on the market? It's, it's a win-win for everybody. Hmm. And, um, and so I'm currently uh, in an incubator uh, in, um, it's called, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but I'm in, in an incubator. There's developers, there's startup founders, and we're all working on it together. And uh, what's great is if Live Like a Local blows up the way I know it will, then if people do decide to move to Nashville, they can automatically become buyers on Buyer Bucket. So it's a great feed into that system if they do decide to buy. Um, but yeah, so we're early on that. That's kind of like my real estate business pays the bills. My uh, tour company is you know, to help people before they're ready to buy a house. And then Buyer Bucket is like the third like, piece to the, the puzzle. And, uh, and then I'll have this great cycle. Sounds like a good, successful model. Yeah. So how do you define the word success? I mean, after all, this show is the root of all success. How, do, how does yeah. Greg Cooley define success? Well, um, I feel like a lot of people probably have the same answers. Um, for me, I think it's waking up and being super content with you know, the people who are around you, your family, your wife, your kids, the situation you have with them, and then doing whatever you want to do. Like not feeling pressure to do anything you don't want to do. I think that would be success for me, is being content with the people around you and then not feeling pressure to do things you don't want to do. So with that as a definition, do you consider yourself a successful person? Not yet. Really? Why not? Well, I, I feel like there's still things that I don't have the freedom to not grind yet. I'm still grinding. And maybe I always will, and maybe it'll never be enough, but I'm such an achiever that it's interesting. I, I just, uh, there, I feel like there always will be a little bit of pressure to do things I don't want to do to accomplish the things I want to do. Mm -hmm. Um so maybe retirement isn't a thing for me, but you know, being successful, I don't want to feel like 
you know, oh, I got to meet with this person because if I don't want to meet with that person, I shouldn't meet with that person. I feel like a successful person wouldn't meet with that person, but like to get what I want, I would still meet with that person. So maybe that is success. Maybe I am successful. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's hard. Well, it's, that's why we do the show. It's hard. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. That, I should have thought about this. Well, when I do the sh- when I started doing the show, Greg, I, I, I had met well, you and I are both members at the Standard Club downtown, yeah. and and so when I started doing before I started doing the show, I was doing these informal interviews like what we're doing, but obviously much, much more informal over a glass of whiskey at the club or something. Yeah. So how did you become successful? Tell me your story. And I started discovering these five things that just kind of showed up in everybody's story of how they got to where they are today. And that's why when I started the show, I thought my podcast is going to be about those five things. So I want you just told a lot of your story and I'm listening and the listeners who listen a lot will know they were probably listening. I've heard of a lot of these things, and I want to point these out to you. Okay. And then I'll get your feedback on, see if you agree. But yeah. the first key, I think, to success that I've found in most successful entrepreneurs is that they had passion and willingness to endure. Passion is typically seen as an emotional thing where we're excited about things. Like, I'm passionate about motorcycling and cars and RVing. I like, I like, I like that stuff. But, but that, that's not what I mean. Most entrepreneurs who are successful might be passionate emotionally, but it's the willingness to endure, which is what the word actually means. The yeah. passion of the Christ wasn't about excitement. It was about willingness to suffer, willingness yeah. to endure. And I hear in your story, those first couple of years of willing to endure, you had to go three years with a license, you were doing foreclosures, and then you got that one big sale. And and then when you niched into the luxury, there was a lot of endurance that oh, had to yeah. go through. So I think... Huge that your story had passion as one of the keys to lead you where, what do you think? Yeah, uh, there was a lot of endurance uh, on that. And it's, yeah, for sure. And and it's because uh, I always had that achievement in the back of my mind, like I'm gonna get there, even if it does take, you know, some months of cutting every expense, you know? (laughs) It was like every January, I'd go to my wife, okay, we're cutting every subscription we have. You know, we are, you know, leaning down because I don't know where my next sale's coming, you know. That's, but, that's the life of an entrepreneur willing to, having the passion to push through those tough times. Yeah. And that's what's made you who you are today. Now, the other, the next key is being at the right place at the right time. You actually use that phrase in your story and knowing the right people is the third key. So people and, and place and I think in your story, you said right place, right time. Um, and also that Sunday school guy, you know, the songwriter in Sunday school, those had to be huge keys to where you are today. What do you think? Yeah, I think those. And, you know, being born into a family of small business owners, I feel like if I was born into a family of W-2 employees, I'd have a very different mindset of things. And so being in, born into a family where you just like, figured it out, like nothing was really handed to you. Like if you want something, you go get it and you figure out how to do it. Um, That was a really cool thing. And watching my family build their businesses and like struggle and like have successes too, that was really cool for me to experience growing up. I didn't realize how like fortunate I was growing up in that and how unique I was in that. But now looking back, I'm like, wow, what a really cool childhood to like have all these mentors as adults in my family, like 
just showing examples of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I had no idea how valuable that was. And you know what's funny is my sister and my brother, they didn't go that way. Um, for some reason, I soaked it in, and uh, I'm super fortunate for that. So what did your brother and sister do? Um, my brother's a lineman on you know, electric poles, and my sister is a dental hygienist. You know, just totally non-business oriented people. <laughs> Are um, you the older or younger? I'm in the middle. Oh, okay. You yeah. Know. And so maybe I needed that, you know, attention. <laughs> like, look at me. I'll be like you. <laughs> <laughs> the middle child syndrome. Yeah. That explains the Maserati. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The piano playing, you know, star that wanted to, you know, do something amazing. So the fourth key that I discovered in these conversations, Greg, is, is preparation. And I think that there, and what that means is the know-how to pull it off. So as you look back in your story, what do you think prepared you to be successful in the luxury market? Uh, I, I've got my ideas based on what you've said, but I'd really be interested to know, what do you think prepared you to be successful in that market? Well, I think before I got success in it, um, I was really stressed about how am I going to do this? Like I have my first luxury sale, like how am I going to repeat it? And I even remember like calling up agents in other cities. How did you do this? How did you build this? And a lot of them would talk to me. And so, um, and a lot of them were like, what are you so worried about? Like, it's just time. It's like, you just put in the work and you'll be fine. You know, but I was 23 years old. Like I didn't know. Like I, and so I look back, I'm like, they were right. Like it was, it was a lot of like, you, I worry for no reason. But um, the things I could control, even though I didn't have the experience, was I could go through neighborhoods that I didn't know that had million dollar homes in it. And I could memorize the streets. I could memorize what the houses were like, who built them. And so anytime somebody would mention, I live in X neighborhood on X street, I'd be like, oh yeah, you live in, you know, on that house, you know, in on that street, in that neighborhood, they have a great pool. And, um, and I would even know like about how much their house is worth. That's stuff that I did just researching every day. Like I'd wake up and learn something about the market. And that put me f so far ahead of everybody else that was doing it because, um, you know, nobody else was putting in that work because it took a lot of time to go through those neighborhoods and, and learn that. So I think that preparation-wise, that did that, buying the Maserati, having an image that, you know, I show up, I'm young, but I must be doing something right. You know, uh, I prepared. I was very conscious of how others saw me and what information I could share back. And so I actually knew what I was talking about. And so it was like I was doing my own college course, you know, homeschool. Well, so that gets into the final key, which is plan. So if you notice, they're all P's. You got passion, place, people, preparation, and plan. So on the plan side, it's not business plan because that, that really is irrelevant for most people's success because they don't really have a plan, business plan written out. But the plan that I'm talking about is the financial plan. What was the financial plan to develop the system? So. You were a realtor as an agent under someone else's brokerage for three years, and then you started Chateau Properties, yeah. and then you went on. You got Compass, and yeah. you got. So, what was your plan, or, or or did you need financing to get that going? I mean, I don't understand how the real yeah. estate game works, but sure. it seems like it's a lot of bootstrapping. You don't need. Yeah, a lot of 
It is bootstrapping, and it's a lot of uh, you get a check, and then you better make it last. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and so uh, the plan was, you know, fifty percent of my commission, I don't even touch. Like you can't spend it. You you have to keep that just in case. And so that was always my mantra: was fifty percent. I have to, you know, not even think it exists between taxes and expenses and months of no commissions. Like I need to have an emergency fund. Um, now, you know, I, I use uh, you know debt equity lines that I you know don't tap, but if I needed to, I would. And so I actually get to budget my whole you know check, which is nice. Um, and I don't have to take 50% anymore. But um, you know, back then it was like every check mattered and 50% just went away. Um, so, what's, so yeah. What's the biggest commission check you ever got? Could you talk about it? Uh, <laughs> if you can't, it's okay. <laughs> sure. Um, well, you sell luxury real estate. Yeah. It's not gonna be a surprise. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's a curious question. My biggest check, so there was this one deal, it closed within two months of each other. Um, and it was about eight and a half million dollars. So I made about $275,000. Wow. So I, I don't, I don't watch it often, but there's a show, uh, a, a, like a reality show of realtors in, in LA, Beverly yeah. Hills. Mm -hmm. Do you know what show I'm talking about? Million What's dollar listing. Million dollar listing. Yeah. And I've watched, I've watched, I don't know, probably half a dozen of those episodes over the years. And that's what's like every house they sell is eight or nine or 10 right. or 16, 20 million dollars. Yeah. And they're all driving around their Rolls Royces uh -huh. and their Bentleys and the Porsches. And, yeah. And yeah, I'm standing to make $418,000 on this deal. And they're just so casual about it. I'm like, dude, you realize that, you know, one commission check, you're in the top 1% of earners annually just on one commission check. It's crazy. It is true um, that the commission checks are big, but man, it hurts when that deal doesn't close. Yeah. And you thought it was. You know, I had a deal in December. You know, it was uh, you know, a $4 million deal, which is a lot for Nashville. And, uh, you know, that that's 120000 bucks that never came in at the end of the year. You know? And it, it's hard to plan when you're like, okay, well, I think this is coming in, but it's not closed yet. So I can't plan on it, but like, I hope it will. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so yeah, these big checks, you know, they, they show on the show, but it's like, well, they probably had three of those that didn't close. And, uh, but yeah, it, it's a crazy world. It's a roller wow. coaster. So we got listeners to the show that span the whole gamut of entrepreneurship. You got early stage people like you're in mm -hmm. Bar Bucket early, yeah. live like locals early. And then you got guys on the other end that are very successful in their own right. They've been yeah. doing business for years and years and years. I want you to spend just the last couple minutes we've got together and give some advice to that early stage entrepreneur. What would your advice be as someone who's been in the real estate market, you've developed a very successful uh, real estate company, yeah. you got two other companies you're bringing up. What's your piece of advice to those people? Um, my advice, would be know your stuff. Like really, like when I started, I just tried to soak in every information piece I could about the industry, about what I was doing. And like, just learn as much as you can so that when you talk about it, you know what you're talking about. So you don't have to fluff anything. People will take you seriously. 
and they'll respect you. Um, even if you're young, even if you're inexperienced, they'll be like, ooh, there's something about him. He knows his stuff. And I think that's what helped me grow so fast, so young, was because, like, he's young, but he knows what he's doing. Like, he knows. And so, like, a lot of young agents come into the, the real estate world and they think, like, I'll just sell a house and I'll, you know, go to Starbucks and, you know, I'll, I'll just go meet some people. It's so much more than that. It's more than meeting people. You know, I know it's a people business, but if you don't have the knowledge behind it, you're really going to struggle. You're going to get that really hard deal, and that person will write you off forever because you, you know, ruined the deal for them. And so, yeah, learn your stuff early because you've got a lot of time when you, when you don't have success or experience yet. You've got a lot of time to figure it out and to learn. So learn. Yeah, don't go to college to do it. Just do it yourself. You know, get your books, get your drive around the neighborhoods. You know, that kind of <laughs> so uh, how would Ambition. people get in touch with you? So if they're listening to the show and they're like, I like this great guy. I want to get in touch either on any of the things, buy a bucket, live like a local, or, yeah. or your real estate. What's the best way to find you and get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, gregcooley.com, G-R-E-G-C-O-O-L-E-Y.com, uh, at the Greg Cooley on Instagram, and uh, you can direct message me there. All right, man. Well, I'm going to give you the final word. Is there anything else you want to share before we close out the show today? I think we covered a lot. I really appreciate you having me on the show, and uh, this has been fun, and uh, thanks for your time. Well, Greg, it's a pleasure to get to behind the scenes a little bit because we've known each other for a while, but yeah. I didn't know some of the some of the ins and outs of your story. So thank you for sharing it. I appreciate you coming up here to Hendersonville yeah. and being here today. So thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another very successful entrepreneur sharing his story of success and how he became successful. And even though he's uh, humble and it's like, I don't know if I'm there yet. What I think is interesting about people like Greg is that uh, that humility is based in the fact that they achieved goals that they set, which makes them successful, but they've already immediately set other goals. So there's more success to be had, which is why people like Greg, I think, say, well, I'm not sure if I'm successful because there, there's always this more. And that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is that no matter what goal you set, once you reach that, there's going to be another goal later that you're going to want to reach. And you might say, well, that makes me not successful yet. But in fact, you are successful. You hit it, and now you just set a higher, more loftier goal. And I think that's where Greg is. And I'm excited to see where he's going to go with Live Like a Local and Buyer Bucket. And if you haven't, uh, if you didn't write that down, it's gregcooley.com, G-R-E-G-C-O-O-L-E-Y.com, or at the Greg Cooley on Instagram. Make sure you reach out and get in touch with him. Now, as always, I want to make sure that I let you know I'm a business coach. And if you're an entrepreneur and needing help with somebody to coach you through what you've got going on in your business, I'd be honored for you to reach out to me at therealjasonduncan.com. One of the things that I'm doing is I've got a business accelerator coaching program, and it takes you through eight sessions. It shows you everything you need to do to get yourself where you can delegate appropriately, you can manage your stress and your schedule correctly. I'll show you the tricks that have helped me build multi-million dollar companies in those areas how to establish the right systems and processes, specifically a sales process that'll help you identify your ideal client within five minutes. And then you also know how to invest in people. I share with all of my coaching clients my documentation on how to find and hire the right person. If you're interested in getting involved in that, go check it out at exitwithoutexiting.com. That's exitwithoutexiting.com. 
So tune in again next time when we talk with yet another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. I'm the real Jason Duncan and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.